Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers Podcast. I'm your host, Julian. I'm joined by Eric. Hello. Oak. Yo. And Chev. Yo. And we are a longtime playgroup during the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. Boys, can I perhaps interest you in a new core expansion? A, a new corner of the multiverse to journey to, perhaps? A new whole plane to explore. I'm a little interested. Uh, uh, you could always interest me. That's reasonable. That's all right. You'll take that. All right. Is it at least highly stylistic and incredibly, like, beautifully thematic? Is, is that also the case? Are some cards just shiny and gilded? Is my homie Urbrask there? It is those things. It also might be a little bit dangerous, uh, but a little bit nostalgic, I would say. All right. I'm wondering where you're getting nostalgia from a, a new plane. But... I, I think it's nostalgic because it's also... Like old... Well, no, it's like it's like cons, which was our first set in the oh, color pie. Oh, okay, okay. No, it's not. It's the shards <laughs> instead of the wings. Right, so it's, it's, it's... You have to think like a Julian, which is hard enough already. I was... I was mostly just meaning like this is the Roaring Twenties, the set. Ah, yes. Nostalgic for all of us, having lived through the Twenties. Me, as someone who was a flapper back in the Twenties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, enough beating around the bush. We do have a new uh, Magic the Gathering set. The Streets of New Capenna, which is the uh, 1920s, the set, the um, the Untouchables, the set, however you want to describe it. The, the good old days, the glitz and the glamour and the art deco. And maybe just a little bit of demonic intrigue. Since we have a new set, of course, there are many correct and also incorrect takes to be had. So we're going to be giving you all the best ones in conjunction with all of our cards from this set. This is the Prime Picks. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Chev, what is our first category? Our first category um, that we've been trying to, to bring up a little bit is favorite lower-powered pick for limited... PDH, maybe you're an artisan fan, what have you. For when you go to the pre-release and you're opening your sealed pool, you're like, what? what is going to make it so that I'm, I'm going to go 3-0? Exactly. Or what's worth taking home because it probably slots into one of your uh, lower-powered EDH decks. I'll start us off for this one. My pick for a lower-powered card uh, is going to be featuring um, a synergy with PDH specifically, but it would also work with a certain EDH commander I'll go into as well, and that's Rafine's Guidance. It's a one-mana white enchantment aura. Enchant creature, enchant creature gets plus one, plus one. Um, so far, very lame. But you can cast it from your graveyard by paying three rather than paying its mana cost, two and a white. So this is very, very cool for very specific commanders. Mostly it's going to be uh, Seder Enchanter and PDH, where you're able to consistently bring this back to draw a card. Um, you can also use this with Naomi, Pillar of Order, released with Neon Dynasty, because that cares about having both an artifact and enchantment on the field. So this gives you some redundancy so you can create those tokens. And if you're trying to play like a really budget Sithis deck, this is a great card for that as well. So it's a overall pretty good pickup and slots into Enchantress decks worldwide. Trev, I think another hot uh, PDH pick for this is Cole, the Forge Master, who says whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand. So this is very cool. A bit cumbersome, but essentially an unkillable threat. I do like that tech. I like it a lot. I also made a PDH pick, but uh, mine was for a PDH commander. Keza Augur of Agonies, which is one white, blue, black for a cephalid advisor. Uh, whenever you draw a card, target opponent loses a life and you gain a life. 
I'm assuming you're doing Cephalid Tribal with this, Eric? Certainly. Definitely not just play control, draw cards, win the game. <laughs> we have seen in our PDH games that uh, gaining life is very good, It and gaining life and dealing damage at the same time is also very good. <laughs> this is no Gary, uh, but it certainly enables some powerful strategies. Esper is already the color combination where you want to be drawing a lot of cards, you have a lot of the good control tools built in, and so Keza just rewarding you for doing what you were already going to do. It's one of your least favorite design points, Jev. But things that just happen when you draw cards are pretty powerful. I think my, my least favorite would be if it drew you a card whenever you gained life or something dumb. But I'm sure we'll see that in a couple of years. I think Keza is really cool. It, it is, I think, pulled back a little bit by the target opponent loses a life. I think in that sort of like life gain, life loss structure, it's going to be up against Dina a lot of the time which is Magecraft, uh, no Magecraft, I'm making that up. It's a Golgari commander. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life for that kind of like pinging synergy. So you'll have to draw a lot of cards with this, but I think to your point, like if it's just a creature that is very good and the rest of your deck is just a very solid control shell, no one will really pay attention to Keza and therefore will cause problems for at least one opponent that you draw seven and, and knock him down. I also have a PDH viable commander as a pick here, but it is not my pick for the lower powered. Instead, for my lower powered, I decided to focus on a limited environment. And, uh, okay, guys, I want to play a little game real quick. Play a little game. If I told you there was a creature that was a 3 3 for 3 mana with vigilance, trample, and when it enters the battlefield, create a treasure token, what rarity would you guess it was? Anyone? Mythic. <laughs> I would say that probably sounds like an uncommon, or like a rare, like a bad rare or a good uncommon. I don't want to ruin well, it. We do have the card in front of us, so it is. We a are bit looking of a card. at it. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for playing along. I'm like, that's that's not even a card they would print. It would be like a four four for three mana. Questing beast. <laughs> Questing beast. Uh, this is Jewel Thief. It has all the <laughs> things I just mentioned: three, three, three abilities, uh, three mana, and only one mana pip. It is a two, generic, and a green. So, um, this is where we're at in 2022 with, with Magic the Gathering creatures. I need to say, this meets Chev's formula. It's three mana and three lines of text. Yep. We like it. All right. Approve. That's yes. why Chev's formula is infallible, as we know. And actually, if you combine it with Questing Beast, you get Jewel Beast, which is what Julian calls himself in front of the mirror when no one's... Jewel there. Beast! <laughs> Nice. I'm um, gonna cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right. I'm a dual beast. No one can tell me differently. I yeah. vigilance, trample, and I make treasure. So currently, I'm a currently I'm a jewel pod, <laughs> mango flavor. <laughs> yeah. Don't pass <sighs> this up unlimited. If you pass this card up, you're you're going stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I picked a, a card for limited as well. Actually, um, mine unfortunately just barely misses Chev's uh thing, but I think it's close enough. It's a mass bandits. So it's a six mana total, three generic, and then Jun colors, black, uh, red, and green for a 5-5 five, five Vigilance Menace, which just on its face is like already pretty good. M menace and like Vigilance are super underrated for limited. And yes, even though this is like slightly... Menace is insane, yeah. Yeah, slightly below the vanilla test with a, a six mana 5-5. Five, five. Like this is just crazy. This format has also a ton of counters in it with the uh, Bant thing which this is in green so you are playing green probably you'll be able to touch that so you could easily buff this up or just give it more keywords with the counters um also this is part of a cycle of common creatures that have 
a activated ability from the hand that's just too generic, exile it from your hand, target land gains, add one of your guild's colors. So for this one, it's black, red, and green. Um, until this card, which is Masked Bandit, is cast from exile or whatever whatever other card it is. Um, and you can cast Max Masked Bandit for as long as it remains in exile. So yeah, you have to pay two generic mana, but this is also just fixing for a format that I think is going to be, I mean, it's already three colors base, right? Theoretically, you're in one of these five three color pairs. I think this is going to be generally a slower format and you're going to want a bunch of fixing because you're going to be playing three colors. I think this in particular really does it for me because just Vigilance and Menace and a 5-5 five five is crazy. But all those cards that also allow for the fixing, I think are very strong since you don't lose the card, right? You get that fixing, um, but it's still there. It's just kind of waiting off in the wings until you need it. Very impressed with that cycle. Also, the art on this is just like a badass raccoon guy with like a cane. Like everyone's just like fighting and he's just in the back just chilling. <laughs> Raccoons are the rum runners of the set, which is kind of wild. Or halo runners, I'm sorry. He's uh, he's coming to steal your lunch money and he does not give a crap. Or your leg. Haha, ha, Marvel. I raccoons. love the raccoons in this set. They are very good. Have there been raccoons in any other set before? Like that creature type? Unsets. Um, there was a raccoon dealer who made squirrels. All right, any real in sets? Case that's what you were asking for. <laughs> <laughs> I literally didn't even realize until right now that it is actually typed raccoon. I just was looking at the art. I fully assumed that all raccoons were just type beast. I did not know that we got a new tribe for this set. I mean, they brought back a, like cephalids for. For no reason, really. And Viashino. Yeah, Viashino. Really? Too. Oh my. Mm -hmm. I okay. think one of your picks, Julian, is a Viashino. It's not a dinosaur. It's not a lizard beast. Um. I, well, I mean, I guess we'll get there. I. I'm not gonna lie. I was not looking at type lines at all. Julian, reading cards always his nemesis. I think we've covered the the uh, the low power picks though. So let's let's go into one of our favorite categories here, especially with these really deep lore heavy sets. Um, favorite flavor or reference? Who wants to go first? I'm just going to get out of the way so that people can make reference to what actually happened in the set. I want to talk about the card Rogues Gallery and that I think it's super cool. It's like a criminal lineup with the height lines and all these sort of wild looking characters lined up against each other. And Rogues Gallery is a term often used in comics to refer to like a character or hero's like suite of villains as their Rogues Gallery. It uses that term super well to show off that this is a very chaotic plane filled with criminals of all sorts. I just really like the card, and if they ever end up doing a uh, Universes Beyond with any superhero franchise, I would expect to see this card show up, because it's a great way to be like, let's just jam five of everyone's favorite villains in there. <laughs> for other flavor context, too, the card is a three-mana sorcery. For each color, return up to one target creature of that color from your graveyard to your hand, and the art showcases five creatures you could pretty easily come up with a color for each of them so it's like added layers on top of that as well a lady in a big green dress a dude in a white tunic it's pretty clear what's going on here whenever i see a lineup like this i don't know if you guys ever watch brooklyn 99 but i always think of the scene where they have like the lineup of people and they make them sing that backstreet boy song that's a great scene uh, oh yeah yeah to figure it out <laughs> if people listening know what i'm talking about it's hilarious if you don't like go on youtube and, and look it up i'm not gonna i won't do the whole bit here but it would be even more hilarious if the people on the card were enacting that i just want to hear oakley talk through his all caps portion of his flavor card okay <laughs> so Here's the thing. I was like looking on Mythic Spoiler, right, for this card, and I was like, ah, oh, I can't find it. I'm just going to put it in the URL or whatever, and surely they'll have it. They had it, 
But it wasn't on Mythic Spoiler because it's not in the main set. <laughs> it's in the uh, Commander Precons that sort of come along with the set. So uh, I'm kind of cheating here, but I really feel passionate about this one, so I'm going to talk about it anyways. The card I'm talking about is called Boxing Ring. Uh, and it is, I think, one of the best flavor transposed into a magic card combination of mechanics that I've seen in a long time. Like, top-down design, sort of, where you start yeah. with, this is going to be a boxing ring, and then you find the mechanics later. Yes, and two very important abilities sort of come into play. So, what this card is, is it's one in a green for an artifact. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it fights up to one target creature you don't control with the same bat mana value. So this is like a creature entering the ring and it's like someone else in their weight class is on the other side and they're going to fight him. And then this card also has the activated ability, tap it, create a treasure token, activate it only if you control a creature that fought this turn. In a, in a normal deck, unless you're building like fight tribal or just happen to have a lot of fight spells, activating this ability is going to essentially mean that your creature won the fight because it's still around. And so by making this treasure, you're sort of like collecting the, the the prize money or like, you know, the champion belt or whatever. So I think that's really cool. The one thing I don't like about this card is why is it green? Why, why did it have to be green? There's nothing green about this card other than the fact that it's using the fight mechanic. And I mean, okay, so there's no weapons involved. Like, maybe that's kind of naturalist. I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. I really, really think it should have been one in a red. Or, I mean, or even like a, a one a green and a red. Or a green and a red or something like that. I, I just think red embodies, like, the spirit of, like... Boxing? Modern <laughs> martial arts more than green does. <laughs> oh, you think every card should be red? Yeah. There's, there's probably a little bit of that in there. Um, Fight is primary green and secondary red. And there's only, like, six red cards that reference fighting. Uh, and usually right. those are... You pick two creatures for, like, six mana, as opposed to the quick, like, target creature you control fights target creature and opponent controls. There are a lot of red-green cards that fight, so I think you could be onto something with your green-red, and I think it's a, what, a Riveteer's card, technically? Yep. Having those two colors in there would still work. Yeah, I think this is a red-green card, because tr when I think treasures, I think red. When I think fight, I think green. Mm -hmm. When I think yeah. fighting for treasure, I think red-green. I, I think that would make perfect <laughs> sense. Especially given that it would fall into Riveteers. I just, I also really like this card. This is a great piece of design where they said, okay, we're going to make a boxing ring. How do we do that? And they translated it fantastically. All right, now onto the actual story of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, New Capenna. So I, I, you mentioned that, but I don't think these have anything to do with the story of New Capenna. Oh. Mine, mine do have a story. So mine, as, as some people also on Twitter have pointed out, across three cards... Expendable Lackey, uh, Sleep with the Fishes, and Exotic Pets. There's the story of the poor Altonio, who I, who is the Expendable Lackey. Expendable Lackey is just a 1-1 one, one for 1 human citizen. And you can exile him from your graveyard to create a 1-1 one, one blue fish creature token. So that should give you a, a sign of what's happening here. Uh, the flavor text reads, Altonio? No, I'm sorry. No one by that name works here. Then we get to Sleep with the Fishes, a 4-mana... ETB, tap enchanted creature, uh, you create a 1-1 one, one fish, and enchanted creature doesn't untap. So, you know, a prison effect. And it shows someone, maybe Altonio, uh, in a giant fish tank with a couple fish that look exactly like the ones in Exotic Pets. Three mana instant, create two 1-1 one, one blue fish tokens. With the flavor text, investigators observed that Altonio's beloved fish were thriving after his disappearance. 
Oh, no. So, we don't know for sure, but just the story across those cards and the fact you could play them in a limited Azorius deck is beautiful. Poor Altonio. Almost as bad luck as the cursed Planeswalker, but we wish his fish all the best. Well, Jeff, those fish are thriving. It says they're thriving. They are thriving. Once they run out of not Altonio to eat, though, I'm, I'm worried about them. <laughs> they're coming for blood. <laughs> These fish don't look, like, super vicious or anything. Like, they... They kind of look like, you know, some, like, Finding Nemo guys. <laughs> like, that one guy in the tank. That's where they get you. You never <laughs> suspect it. And then they open their mouth, and they got fangs the size Ooh, of, you yeah. know. It's, like, crazy. <laughs> uh, my flavor pick is is pretty simple. Um, I mentioned nostalgia at the beginning of the, the cast. And this is just, this is very nostalgia for me because I think one of, like, those very, very famous, like, old black and white photos is that famous uh, uh, picture of the workers on that one big steel crossbeam during the construction of the Empire State Building. And Riveteer's Ascendancy is basically just a recreation of that, but in, in magic terms. So it's a, you know, nice bright colors. And instead of just, um, you know, a bunch of normal New York City workmen, it's a, you know, a couple dudes and it looks like a, a devil and a, an ogre. And <laughs> Eric, you're right. That is that is a Viachino right there. It's basically just a, a pure representation of that photo. And I personally think that's like a super iconic photo. So I like that they through that nod to this, especially since the Riveteers whole thing is basically like they are, they're like the, you know, the construction, but like mm -hmm. also like a little bit of the mafia, you know, so. A little bit. Flavor text is good too. We are this city down to its bones. Amen. All right. So we've gotten, we've gotten a little taste of uh, some of the cards, but as this is a sort of tribal set based around the shards, there are five new factions compared to Esper, uh, Jun, the ones of Alara that we can now kind of align ourselves with so what uh families uh do you guys see yourselves being a part of eric why don't you go because you've been waiting a, many a moon yeah so i i am going to start with which family i align with the most mechanically i have been going off about this uh since like the middle of college which is that there is a a part of bant that is missing and it is one one counters commanders that care about counters in bant because there's green and white cards that care about counters and there's blue cards that care about counters. And until now, the only way to put them in a deck that cared about counters was to play them in Atraxa, which is boring. And nobody wants to do. <laughs> Unless you do, in which case... You're wrong. Good for you. You can play Atraxa. But now, there's finally a bunch of cards. Falco Spara, Pact Weaver, and Kroos Defense Contractor, both of whom I'm very excited about as commanders. And it's just cards to play, who really fill in that niche and cover the ground of Bant's dealing with counters. And also, just even like Broker's Ascendancy is a good card. Uh, just to go over some of those really quickly, uh, Kroos Defense Contractor is 1 and Bant. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a shield counter on target creature and opponent controls. Shield counters essentially prevent the first time something would die. Whenever you put one or more counters on a creature you don't control, tap that creature and goad it. It gains trample until your next turn. So, Kroos is just saying, hey, I'll keep you alive. You get out there and cause some havoc. I really like that from this family as a method of being sort of a different kind of mobster. Of like, we'll keep you safe. We'll make sure you stay protected. You just go cause some havoc for us. Lore-wise, their whole thing is when you as a person on New Capenna are about to die, brokers will show up and be like, hey, we can save you if you sign this contract and give us a favor at our choosing. That is how they get the muscle for their thing. So it's a very good, with Kroos, embodiment of like what 
the tribe wants to do mechanically and flavorfully. And notably, the brokers are not just weird cat death-dealing lawyers. Uh, They are also giant rhinoceroses. Uh, A a good portion of the tribe is just big boy enforcers. But flavor-wise, I think that I'm more aligned with the cabaretti. Of course, I have to talk about Naya, because why wouldn't I talk about Naya? These just seem like the guys it would be cool to run with during an Art Deco gang war. Like, all of their cards are just them dressed to the nines at parties, essentially socializing their way to the top. Everything is cranked to 11 with these guys. The clothes are all fantastic, like I said. It's nothing but parties and galas. They have their own land that is just like a concert hall, like party venue. A lot of them notably touch on music, which I really like as a part of this era that I think is really key to include. Uh, the card Sizzling Soloist I think is really interesting. It's a red and three, never another creature enters the battlefield under your control. Target creature and opponent controls can't block. If this is the second time it's resolved, that creature attacks during its next combat phase of Fable. So you essentially can get two free attacks through a creature. Play so loud that... uh... (laughs) I like it, though, because it's essentially... If you are lulled into a false sense of security because you're like, it's just a bunch of rich pricks with all their dogs and cats and they're just listening to music (laughs) up in their ivory towers, you're about to get rolled over and you have no idea what's going to happen to you. And Calibretti Initiate is just a raccoon with two broken bottles in crazy, like... Out of whack clothes. He's he's just such a wild little guy. <laughs> so, Eric, in your notes, you wrote, everything is cranked to 11, which I agree with. The clothes, the parties, the music, the quote-unquote Halo. Every time I read anything about Halo for this, it's like, oh, the clothes, the parties, the music. I just picture, like, everyone, like, totally decked out in, like, that 1920s stuff, you know, like, flappers, like, dudes in, like, pinstripe suits. And I see the Halo, and I just picture them all, but just, like clustered around a country a bunch of computers just like having a land party but they're like <laughs> listening to like electro swing in their fucking pinstripe that's suits. amazing next year hex drinkers when we do our drinks episode who's making halo <laughs> flavors of halo oh that'll be great we'll see we'll see if we one of us still has a new capenna deck or if it's been um rotated already <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right who's, who's taking up the torch flavor wise i i went into this really liking the the maestros the story also is told kind of from the perspective of the maestros the maestros are like the old guard of the plane they are the guild of assassins uh they're grixis colors um they're i think xander is their head uh for for a while uh not till the end of the story but for a good part of it and he's he's really interested in the history of the plane and so all we know like going into this is new capenna is the city held by these five demon families kind of held together and then there's like all this unknown history like what happened before that why is it a city on a plane etc and xander knows the most about all of it and i really like that sort of like touching back to the history of the plane as we learned you know phyrexians were here and that sort of controlling things from above i I really like grixis colors but i i can't really and i think julian will hopefully be able to explain a little better to me i just can't really get with casualty like i i understand the idea of casualty sacking a creature you know doubling your spell but i can't get my head around like a good strategy that incorporates it well and efficiently i I didn't really want to align with that mechanically so i have to go for the the cabaretti for there so we're kind of going full circle uh for this set i i agree with eric a lot of the things he said like cabaretti for what i am picturing of my fantastical and like no bad edges version of the 1920s like it's the big brass sounds art deco the cities and the cabaretti seem to be that kind of in spades 
I also really like a bunch of the cards that were in there, like uh, Cabaretti Ascendancy, which is kind of like a cool new take on Phyrexian Arena, but, you know, not as good. I like the uh, the Witty Roastmaster, which has, uh, like, Impact Tremors on a card. I like the Venom Connoisseur, which is whenever creature... If you have two or more creatures enter this turn, uh, all creatures you control get Death Touch. And, like, all these sort of, like, caring about creature falling, it's a less mechanically difficult tribe than I've really liked in the past so i kind of like sitting back and letting cabaretti just kind of go nuts they're literally cool cats they have the most cats i think <laughs> of every tribe with oh jetmere and fabian etc um so i think they're like really what i would look for when i'm thinking of this time period uh for me i actually touch a little bit on both of what eric and chev said flavor wise i'm actually very broker like very much the brokers i i'm not gonna lie bant is like one of my least favorite color combinations ever but the idea of like basically like corrupt lawyers and judges, deal brokers and stuff, um, kind of like the like the upstanding evil, uh, I dig that. I think if I was on the plane and I had to align with a family, control the law, you basically control everything, right? And and you're kind of the ones who are also enabling the other families because if they ever get in trouble, you can be there to smooth things over. So I, I like that. But mechanically, I actually have to go for Grixis, which is another of my least favorite color combinations. It's crazy. Um, I, I really thought that I was going to be like 100% Esper all the way, um, but they're really just not doing it for me that much this set. Like, what? why does their mechanic have to do with attacking? Stop. No, please. Um, but uh, for the Maestros, I've been slowly but surely over the past few years, m mostly from like playing limited and stuff, I've really been coming along to, and also standard to an extent, uh, to the Rakdos sort of sacrifice themes that they've really been pushing hard in like basically every set. And uh, now adding blue to it just for me, I mean, it's just icing on top of the cake, right? Chev, I think casualty is like one of the sickest mechanics that they've had in mm -hmm. a long time. Unfortunately, and I think correctly, most of the cards that have this are not that good even in limited, um, because this can obviously get very, very busted very quickly. But there are some good ones. Uh, there's Cut the Profits, which is a uh, draw X, lose X. Uh, cut of the Profits. By the way, that art is nasty, but cool. Illicit Shipment, which is just like a Diabolic Tutor. Um, and then, of course, probably probably the premier one is On Hello the Painter, uh, who just gives the first instant or sorcery spell you cast each turn, notably if you're playing Commander, that's everybody's turn, uh, Casualty 2. Um, now, the thing that's great about this is that basically you're playing black, right? All zombie tokens are two power. So basically just everything you have, you can just sacrifice a zombie token. And there's plenty of things that we've seen uh, from like Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt that give you two, two zombie tokens as part of the thing. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me, Chev, is there's a lot of ways to really just kind of continually churn this casualty engine. Unfortunately, I think you would have to do like an Anhalo build just because like i said there's not that right, many casualty cards yeah you need to do that card and obviously if you have things that care about things getting sacrificed or going to the graveyard or whatever this is another way to enable it in a sort of more spell slinger way as opposed to right. i think um specifically in not crimson vow which one had decayed again was it crimson vow or was it both uh midnight it was midnight it was hunt. both but mostly midnight hunt okay there's a legendary creature i think that checks to see if you have a 2-2 zombie with decayed if you don't make one I, I think I saw a couple builds for On Hello that included... Uh, there's a few cards that do that. This has a lot of overlap with my Thraxamundo deck. And I, I played that guy. I forget what his name is, but yeah, he's like a two-mana, always have a decayed dude. I play him in Thraxamundo, so, you know, it's similar sort of vein. Ha, get it? Because they're vampires. All right, Oak. I'm sure you have a flavorful <laughs> and a uh, mechanical too, right, Oak? You got you got that split going on? Are you going to surprise us today, or, or should we just... <sighs> what do you think? 
Let's just go on to the next segment. Everyone knows which one I'm picking. <laughs> nah, I want to hear you talk about it. Yeah, let, us, let us know. Tell us about it. To probably no one's surprise, I am aligning myself with the Riveteers. I mean, as Julian mentioned before, with uh, Riveteers Ascendancy, just depicts, I love how it just depicts this normal people, just like blue-collar workers, just like doing their job. They're just like, there's there's no corruption here. They're just like eating sandwiches on the, on a little girder beam. You know, these are, these. this is the working class of uh, New Capenna. And besides just working, they're all about, you know, honor and uh, punching. <laughs> I love that. Your two favorite things, honor and punching. I know, right? Honor and punching. Yeah, the best. I just think these are a bunch of really, like, stand-up guys. Just a bunch of guys and gals being dudes. What's better than that? You sound like a frat bro describing (laughs) your your brothers. Just a bunch of dudes, guys. Besides just, you know, what they're about uh, in general, I think they're really mechanically one of the coolest uh, as well. Of all the families in this set, uh, they're definitely the most focused around treasure tokens, which... If you know me, you know I love my artifact tokens. Plenty of artifacts. Who cares how good they are as long as you got a lot of them. A lot of shiny. (laughs) Of course, they they also find themselves being the most sort of like aggressive to play. Featuring the most creatures with, you know, haste, trample. Both flavor and mechanics for me, it's going to be the Riveteers. Love that their tri-land is, again, just a boxing ring in like a warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) What are the odds that you're... Favorite commander. I'm not looking at the notes. I haven't looked yet. What are the odds that your favorite commander is also a Riveteer? Uh, I don't know. You you want to put your bets on that, Julian? I'm on the page before, and I'm like, oh, it's like it's got to be right. It's got to be, but I don't know. I, I mentioned this, uh, you know, earlier in the cast. Uh, we're gonna talk about our our favorite commanders of the set. Uh, one of us, Eric, has already discussed a commander, and I'm going to be discussing a PDH legal commander. Does that narrow it down for you at all, Julian? I just went down and looked, and that it doesn't doesn't say Riveteer in the title, so I think I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. It says another family so, um, name, actually. Yeah, it, spe- it, does, it specifically indeed. says it's not a Riveteer, I should say. I, I should clarify. I did not pick the boulder for this one. My favorite commander is Rocco, a cabaretty caterer, who is essentially just a court of calling on a creature. Uh, he is X and Naya for a 3-1. The 3-1 doesn't really matter, though. Uh, when he enters the battlefield, if you cast him, search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. I think I've talked in the past a bit, at least, you know, probably mentioned it once or twice, uh, how I have a lot of problems with toolbox decks in Commander in that I really want to make one, but it's hard to make a good one without just making it a combo deck, essentially. Uh, I don't want it to be a combo deck. I want it to be, like, hate bears, you know? Mm. But this guy, being PDH legal and also probably relatively cheap, uh, sort of opens up two nice avenues for that, where either as a PDH commander or as in a budget commander, this guy could probably much more easily be an actual toolbox commander without having to compete against expensive combo pieces, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. So um, I- I'm very interested to see which uh, which ways I can take this guy in both of those sort of settings. Uh, I don't even know if there's any creatures worth tutoring for in PDH, at least like low CMC, because, you know, when I think of this guy, I want to play like, you know, like Harsh Mentor, Valia, yeah. Collector Oof, stuff like that. 
but there's probably some stuff in PDH. Um, I just named all, I just named a bunch of expensive cards then. I <laughs> also, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I think well, one of the things from the set that I'm thinking, witty roast master, three mana, three two impact tremors. I think like you, you would want to get cards. Yeah, low cost creatures in PDH. You're probably going to try and do a go wide or some sort of tokens if you're in Naya. So having something like that would be a pretty good tutor target. Probably be better served as a budget EDH deck though. Yeah, overall, I agree. You definitely don't have to play Collector Oof. You could play, like, uh, Vryn Wingmare or something. Shadows of Randisher at Thalia. I don't know. Yeah. I think I like it, uh, uh, Rocco, for, for toolbox stuff because it is a, a one and done, right? Like, it, it ETBs if you cast it, search your library for a creature, and put it onto the battlefield. So, unlike things um, like that Simic Legend from, I think, Guilds, that I almost thought about making, where it's, you know, you sack a creature, untap it, get one with mana cost one or more, or Isan, where it's there's a very clear progression and you just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And not only does it become somewhat combo, but it's probably repetitive. Like you're always, there's always going to be like a two or three best options for each one where this is like, all right, let me evaluate the situation. Let me get one card for it. And so that could be very different in certain circumstances. So it comes across as a much more interesting, like decision-based one, as opposed to how do I start my loop? How do I continue my loop? boom loop over i win i just want to play this card with like white main lion and like core skyfisher so i can just like cast it pull something out of my deck that immediately says return something to your hand you just mm-hmm. put them back in your hand so you can just cast them again i just want to do stupid <laughs> shit like that that's all i want to do i was gonna suggest the same thing like in situations where you're like i've got mana left over i can play rocco but there's nothing i need right now the ability to include some cards that are just like, I'm just going to put Rocco back in my hand. You know, it fits the toolbox theme to run stuff. Like, Eternal Witness would be great with Rocco because whether you're casting Rocco to grab Eternal Witness to get something important out of the yard, or Rocco's in the yard and you're using Eternal Witness to put him back in your hand, it's a great play. And I I think there's a lot of really versatile cards that you want to be able to ask yourself, is this good to grab with Rocco? And is this good if Rocco's already dead? Or if Rocco costs like 12 mana? Because three and X is not a small cost, but I I really like this as an idea. You'd probably be playing this with a command beacon too. And um, I think there's a green one that probably reduces how much it costs from the command zone. It reduces by one for each time you've cast it. Right. Every effect you can get like that would probably be real good if you're trying to lean in and make Rocco as good as it can be. Did anyone else pick another commander? Yeah. Or another uh, uncommon? Sorry, uncommon. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Are you crazy? When there's mythics out here? I mean, that's fair enough. What mythic did you pick? I picked Kroos. I already talked about him, but this dude's insane. Again, uh, it's one and Bant at the beginning of your upkeep. Put a shield counter on target creature and opponent controls. For some reason, I thought you had to target the opponent for a second. I was like, that's weird. Anyway, <laughs> um, target opponent's target creature would be one of the worst lines of text and magic. And whenever you put a counter, you goad that creature. Uh, on a creature and opponent controls, you goad that creature. I think this is a super interesting deck that mostly... I like it for the idea of it gives you a shell to build, but it does not give you a win condition. Because I agree with Chev that, like, cards that just imply a super obvious shell or where it's just like, you draw cards when you do things or you get things when you draw cards, it's not that interesting always. But I think this is a very cool setup of, like, a way to build a defensive kind of controlling or mid-range deck that we haven't seen before of giving your opponents benefits and then using those to stave them off. Can I point on a synergy with a card that's right next to it on Scryfall for me uh, that I have never seen, Lagrella the Magpie, which also just costs uh, green, white, blue. Um, it says, when they enter the battlefield, exile number any number of other target creatures controlled by different players. 
So basically, you can literally exile all your opponent's entire board until she no, leaves. No, it's, it's one It's each. one per. Because each creature has to be controlled by a different player. Yeah. Okay, still. Anyway, you exile yeah. the biggest or baddest thing. And then it says, when an exiled card enters the battlefield under your... Control this way. Yeah, it's <laughs> under not your control. I thought it was the other ones. I was going to say, you could continually blink her and just goad all of their stuff, but also buff it up so that it's a bigger threat for the rest of your... Let opponent. me tell you why this is good with Kroos is because you say, here's a shield counter. Here's a bunch of 1-1 one, one counters. Go get them. And then one turn, you're like, oh boy, I no longer have a way to give everyone's thing another counter this turn. And then you play her, and you just bounce it all. And it's no longer big and scary. It's gone. Uh, I think bounce spells are actually going to be a huge component of building a good Crow deck. Is because while you're letting your opponents accrue this advantage, the best way to take it all out from under their feet is to say, you just have to cast that creature again. Which normally is kind of backbreaking, but... If they're relying on the advantage that you've been giving them, it'll take them out of the knees, which I think is very thematic for the brokers to say, if they've been giving you help and all of a sudden it goes away, you're going to be in a bad place. It's probably a great deck for uh, Erratic Portal. Um, bounce a creature unless his opponent pays one. Ooh. They'll always have to keep one open, so you can just keep getting rid of their their stuff. Or what's that... What's that dumb card that Oakley played for a little bit? Um, that could describe a lot of things. I mean the, um, what is it, like Quicksilver Shard, where it's like bounce a creature unless its controller pays oh, blue. Uh, Crystal Shard. Crystal Shard, yeah. Because mm. that would also fit into this deck nicely. Yeah, that would be a sick card in this deck. Big card I thought of as soon as I saw this was Generous Patron. I can feel in my lifeblood that card's price is going up. It's already expensive, but... It's a Battle Bond card, baby! Generous Patron and all support cards are going to be great here. Because a lot of support cards have good things about them, and then they also allow you to affect your board as well as other people's. The ability to goad someone's entire board with just a couple of, like, support twos or... Julian, what's the big support six card you played for a while? It's like... Oh, Gladeheart Cavalry. Gladeheart Cavalry. What a card. (laughs) That, instead of saying support six, saying goad six, that's a silly card. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. (laughs) I think I'm very excited to play this deck. And I'm looking forward to finding out what I like best as the finisher in this deck. Currently, I'm looking at, there are some combos that I find interesting. I also just like the idea of putting a bunch of small evasive creatures in there and letting them stack up 1-1 counters over time and just becoming more and more dangerous threats. I think there's a lot to explore with how to kill with Kroos, but for right now, I'm just excited to get into the planning of how to stay alive with Kroos. Now, Eric... I respect your idea that you want a commander that really has an effect on the board, especially your opponent's cards, but but can I instead interest you in a card that is literally the, the epitome of spinning your wheels and not doing anything? Uh, because the, the commander that I picked is, I had to pick an Esper card, and I picked Toulouse Clever Conductor, uh, of which I'm very upset because there's not a single train in this freaking card art. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe she's in a train. She's clearly like on a staircase. How many staircases are they in trains? I don't know. Anyway, tell us about this dumb card, Julian. Yes, it, it is it, it is very much a dumb card, but I, it speaks to my heart. Uh, it's Hybrid Azorius, Blue, Hybrid Demir. Uh, so a very weird mana cost, but three, three mana, so low. Uh, human Rogue, relevant creature types, 3-1, stat line, whatever, fine. When Toulouse enters the battlefield, it connives. Uh, whenever you discard one or more cards, exile them from your graveyard. And when Toulouse dies, put the exiled cards with it, the cards exiled with it into their owner's hand. This is like sort of a Library of Lang or like a uh, a Bag of Holding, but just on a creature. The thing is, you can play a bunch of like wheels 
or like mass discard cards that are like everyone discards their hand and stuff. Uh, basically ways to deprive your opponents of resources. And then you can play all the classic, you know, black and white sacrifice and reanimate shenanigans or blink shenanigans and stuff. Sack to lose and then get her back. And now you just add all those cards to your hand. Once again, spinning your wheels, this doesn't actually like advance your board presence or it's like a weird form of card advantage but i'm just imagining like a turn where you just go through like the top 20 cards of your deck discard them all or whatever you know things like ancient excavation and and, and obviously like you know dark deal and windfall and stuff malakir rebirth sacker to astronaut's altar or whatever bring her back and just like put 30 cards in your hand and then of course you know have to discard a hand size or whatever but <laughs> we're blue we got ways to deal with that yeah i think there's something dumb that can be done with this it probably amounts to like a just draw your deck win, but I'm interested to look into it. I mean, the obvious solution to discard to hand size is that you just play a reanimation spell that you drew in those 20 cards, bring her back onto the field before your turn ends, and then when you discard for end of turn, you get to keep all the resources stored <laughs> off to the side that you didn't want. Julian, I think if you build this deck, then you are going to lose. Haha! <laughs> 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 ah, because we're gonna kill him. Yeah, <laughs> straight up murder. <laughs> and that's the end. Cue the theme song. <laughs> so, kind of the opposite of of Eric's pick, which was, you know, listen here. Here's an idea to maintain a board, but we're not going to tell you how to win. This time, my pick for a card was, listen, with me, you'll win, but you got to get there on your own. And that's Jetmir Nexus of Revels, head cat demon of the Cabaretti. One in Naya for a 5-4, already glorious. Creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0, and have Vigilance, as long as you control 3 or more creatures. Creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0, and have Trample, as long as you control 6 or more. And they get an additional plus 1, plus 0, and Double Strike, as long as you control 9 or more creatures. So, I'm looking at this kind of like, I have a spell in the command zone. And that's something that I haven't really built a deck around yet. Most of mine are very commander-focused, so this is like, cast this when you're ready to win, but there's no real benefit to having Jetmir on the field for most of the game. So I, I like this because it's a very good, clean strategy compared to what I'm, I'm normally trying to play. Originally, I did think of building Jetmir with uh, Kahira the Orphan Guard as a companion for Cat Tribal, but I was like, all right, that's that might be pushing a little bit. Even though it's Beast, so I can include Crater Hoof, I decided that I, I wanted to just build a generic, good tokens, everyone's having a great time kind of deck. And I, I did also consider Ginny Fey uh, Jetmir second, the one that whenever a token enters, turn into a cat or dog. But as I was building that, I was like, right, no, this is the same thing, <laughs> the same loop I always get stuck in, which is, you know, something very <laughs> mechanically focused. And so you have to build in a very specific way. And so I like Jetmir because it's kind of doesn't require that. So there's a lot more room for experimentation. Uh, and I want to give a special slight shout out to a card that was spoiled today. So I didn't have enough time to really look into it. Oscar Rubbish Reclaimer. 5 mana 3-3 three, three in Demir uh, costs 1 less to cast for each different mana value among cards in your graveyard. But the ability is whenever you discard a non-land card, you may cast it from your graveyard. So you can still play the same wheels that Julian was talking about with Toulouse, but you have to, you know, use those effects immediately. And I just thought that was kind of a cool take because I've been trying to do something with Madness for a while. But yeah, Jetmir, Nexus of Revels, probably will see play <laughs> as we uh, sunset the werewolves that were good for about never. Um... <laughs> they, yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> yeah. They tried, Chev. They did, and I just want to play with a giant cat demon instead. So while our last section was, you know, focusing on what we want to build that's new, uh, we don't want to 
uh, neglect what is old. And so we kind of want to talk about some of the cards that we're thinking of slotting into current decks we have or might be worth a try in those strategies. I, I want to go first here because I'm super actually psyched about this set, especially relative to the, for me personally, disappointment that was, what was that last set called? Crimson Vault? <laughs> um, did something come out between that? I don't know. I have lost sense of time. Kamigawa. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> I was um, like, whew. I know something important happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. I, I also took very little from Kamigawa, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Red dot deck, red Rome. I've always got a red deck, and it and it sort of changes in form. But uh, a couple cards that I think are going to be sweet in in pretty much any mono red deck. First of all, my man Urbrask is here. He's on the plane. I can't believe he actually is. My stupid prediction was correct. Uh, unfortunately, he's not a uh, kingpin of any of the families. But you know, you can't ask for too much. Uh, he's not dead. That's about all I want. He continues to be the resident sleeper of the Praetors with an effect that's just a little bit too balanced considering he is uh, a Praetor. <laughs> but it's still pretty cool. Uh, at the beginning of your library, you sort of get to Phyrexian Arena, except you lose the card at the end of the turn. And at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, the next time they draw a card this turn, they instead... Exile the top card of their library, so basically the first card they draw each turn, transient, makes it a little harder for, you know, control decks to stock up, but you can definitely draw out of it. So, again, cool effect, gives you a little bit of funky card advantage in red. Um, structural Assault, uh, it's about time we got another good board wipe in red, reasonably costed. Uh, five mana for a sorcery, destroy all artifacts, then it deals damage to each creature equal to the number of artifacts that were put into graveyards from the battle this turn which includes all artifacts that enter the battlefield before you cast a spell. So not only is this destroying all artifacts, it's hopefully destroying all creatures too. And if you like, you're like me and you play with a lot of treasures, it's definitely destroying all the creatures and all of your treasures because uh, you don't like to think too far ahead. <laughs> uh, last but not least for red is Glittering Stockpile, uh, a card which Chev very kindly pointed out to me. It went very much over my head. Uh, it's a three mana for an artifact with a subtype treasure, tap it to add a red and put a stash counter on Glittering Stockpile, and then you can tap it and sacrifice it to add X mana of any one color, probably red, uh, where X is the number of stash counters on Glittering Stockpile. So it's kind of like a mega treasure, even though it doesn't have that normal treasure uh, text, sack it to uh, add one mana of any color. Hopefully you're adding many mana of one color. One other card I want to talk about, I, haven't, I feel like I haven't mentioned this deck uh, in a while, but Elementals, uh, Maelstrom Elementals, still sees a, a lot of pretty strong cards, and this set is like many in recent days where it's just got a big, dumb, you know, green, 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 plus a bunch of mana creature in it, kind of like Cultivator Colossus. Uh, this is Titan of Industry, which is an elemental that's uh, basically just a bunch of buildings with arms, uh, so that's kind of cool. He hits that sweet spot of 7 mana, perfect uh, for Maelstrom, obviously. He's an elemental. 7-7 uh, seven, seven with Reach and Trample, and then when he enters the battlefield, you get to pick 2 of Destroy Target Artifact or Enchantment. Target player gains 5 life, create a 4-4 four, four green Rhino Warrior, or put a shield counter on a creature you control. So definitely not uh, overpowered or anything. And the last card I want to mention, I don't have a deck for this, but Meeting of the Five, I've been thinking about... I, I, I know I've advocated for Eric's five-color deck to be just all ultimatums and Abzan charms and, you know, 
Riveteer's Charms, <laughs> but it's not a deck enabler. Like, if the deck was going to be good, it, it would already be good. If it was going to be bad, it would already be bad. But this is the perfect sort of spell for that. This is a ridiculous 3 and Wooberg for a sorcery. Exile the top 10 cards of your library. You may cast spells with exactly 3 colors from among them this turn. Add 2 of each color. Spend this man only to cast spells with exactly 3 colors. So hopefully you're hitting... At least one ultimatum off that, and it's just another copy. Pair it with that uh, that traffic light that was spoiled too. Uh, ETB Scry three. And whenever you cast a spell that's exactly three colors, it has replicate for three. Because mm. that would oh, be man. pretty oh. pretty spicy. That's too good. Yep, I'm making this deck. I'm, I'm making it <laughs> officially. Be a damn shame if someone was playing Blood Moon. Yep. What that, what would be the that, uh, that would be me? So. You know, I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Ramos at the head, right? Because that gets counters equal to the number of colors. And then you could do something yeah, I think cool. You got, I think you got to go Ramos. Ramos would, would absolutely be the commander of that deck. All right, what else we got? I don't have a lot from this set. Fight rigging as a potential for the Earth Dragon. The Earth Dragon's plenty of big creatures. The smallest thing in there at this point is like four power, maybe five power. And so fight rigging, which is two and a green, hideaway five. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. Then, if you control a creature with power 7 or greater, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. So, this is every turn, give one of your creatures a 1-1 counter before combat, which is just... It's fine. Being able to hide away a dragon is very powerful. And search through 5, you're pretty likely to hit something pretty potent. And I also really like the idea of rigging a fight by hiding something. And so it's two row. One of them's just smacking the crap out of the other one with like giant magically enhanced gloves. And uh, it, it's it's a great card, both art wise and also uh, I think it would work well in dragons. Uh, the other one being cut your losses for the mill deck. It's four and two blue, casualty two. Target player mills half their library rounded down. I don't really care that much about any of the creatures in the mill deck. So if I can sacrifice any of them to force someone to mill half their library, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Or force someone to mill three quarters of the library. That'd be sick. Hey <laughs> uh, Sadly, this effect does round down. I think most other mill half their library effects are round up. Even still, if you have the guy who like doubles mill out or uh, any other effects that rely on the keyword of mill, it, it does proc those. Does that mean it can't? Mill the last card in someone's library if Correct. it rounds down. You could huh. pay six mana to mill zero cards if someone had one card left in their library. Wow. But you would be stupid if you did that. That would be 100% <laughs> your fault. Yeah. Uh, those are the only two that really excited about at this point. I've had a good look through, but uh, not saying that you won't see any of these other cards from me. Similar to Eric, I think that's the uh, the real struggle of having decks that have been fine-tuned over the course of many years you know or at least many months is that it, it gets harder and harder to inject new uh, blood into it rafine's tower and voidrend rafine's tower being the esper triome and then voidrend being just an an uncounterable vindicate at instant speed both could definitely see play in chromium for me um, some of the casualty cards I was discussing earlier, especially some of the ones that come in the commander deck, I think are definitely candidates for my Thraxamundar deck. Two things that, uh, a deck that I haven't really like talked about on the show, but I've played a few times, is the Horse Dog deck, which is my Mono White Partner's attacky deck. I kind of want to put Halo Fountain in there just because it's it's a white mythic rare, and also it says you win the game on it. If anything, at least you know it can draw me some cards, and, and uh, I think it makes treasures as well. It gives one of your boys um, vigilance, then, right? Tap it, a white in it, untapped target, tapped creature. 
There's a, also a card that I just found today called Patch Up. Two and a white, return up to three target creature cards with total mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So similar to Call of the Death Dweller, if you remember that from Ikoria, this is just an easy way to get back both the horse and the dog from the graveyard if they both, inevitably when they both die, get them with the patch up. Also, it's just kind of like funny. It's just like, oh, come here, buddy. We're going to just super glue those wounds together, put some band-aids on you and you're good to go. Just get back out there. Go ahead. So I will say, I appreciate Julian's... Uh optimism with that considering i believe a play last time horse dog was used was thought up by julian that was very similar where he let them go to the graveyard oh it was so fun and then was going <laughs> he used a return from graveyard spell and someone exiled his graveyard well the funniest thing was he sent them to the graveyard he played sun titan he went to grab a different creature he targeted <laughs> not even the horse or the dog and then i was like okay i'm still gonna do it because it's funny i banish your entire graveyard <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that anyone was going to be able to banish my graveyard uh, <laughs> at instant speed on my turn. I was sure that it was going to happen. And I, it, it didn't happen. And that's what Commander's all about. I think the biggest thing actually for me, I was saying like, you know, there's not a lot of cards that I necessarily am going to slot into existing decks, but I think there's a lot of commanders that I actually want to try and brew around, which I think that's where most of this set is going to come for me. Specifically, uh, Cormella. She seems very strong in CPDH. A few of the Naya, not Jetmir, but a few of the other Naya commanders are interesting to me because they're still doing like basically what Naya does but with with a bit of a twist as well as like I was saying the uh, Toulouse Clever Conductor so I think that's probably where most of my efforts are going to be on unfortunately not a lot of things that slot into my existing decks so if you're struggling with slotting things into your decks because they're fine-tuned over time the answer is just have too many decks and then you can never fine-tune any of them enough uh, <laughs> and that is usually my strategy so I've got a couple a couple picks spreading the uh, around the love to to uh, four of my my currently built decks uh, so i'll go fast one was spoiled with the obscura deck i think smuggler's share it's a three mana white enchantment at the beginning of each end step uh draw a card if an opponent drew two or more cards this turn and create a treasure if an opponent i think played two or more spells this turn something like that uh, I think that's a, a really good effect. Glad to see something other than Smothering Tithe, uh, sort of like treasure generation, like we saw with Monologue Tax, as the last like attempt at White to have one of these abilities. So I want to slot Smuggler's Share into Oscar and remove Smothering Tithe because I don't really like that card, but also it sells for a ton of money right now. And I would rather <laughs> use that to buy like all the cards here than just keep it around. Toshiro? It's a very slim pickings, kind of like what I was alluding to with Jetmir. Like, I'm looking for black instance, and that's pretty much it. Luckily, there are two cards that deliver here. We have Demon's Dew, which is a four mana instant, scry two, draw two, lose two. Uh, I think I'm thinking about slotting that one in as kind of like a fourth or fifth uh, instant speed draw spell. I think that'd be pretty good. And then another card from the Obscura deck, Lethal Scheme. Four mana, destroy target, creature, or planeswalker. And it has Convoke. And for all creatures that Convoke, Connive. So for the most part, like I'll be playing this with Toshiro out on the battlefield. So it'll be a three-man spell. Toshiro is not attacking. Uh, and the potential to kind of see another card, discard another card, get in some more Toshiro synergy. So I think that's a very good pickup for that deck. Chishiro, just from Kamigawa, we'll see hopefully an upgrade. Of course, it depends on the price because Chishiro is somewhat beholden to that. Uh, Park Heights Maverick, a three-mana 2-2 two -two throne, which we haven't seen in a while. Uh, so that's where you get the counters from. Uh, can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player or dies, proliferate. So if there's one thing a modified deck is really going to like, it's a lot of 1-1 counters and making more of them sounds super solid. 
Uh, and lastly, there's a couple pickups. I haven't played Oakown and Cinder Split recently because I've been waiting for the Secret Lair to come in, which I assumed was coming in April. So I've kind of been putting it on the back burner. Might need to pick that up since it's been postponed until September. But anyway, a card I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet on the cast. Uh, an offer you can't refuse. One blue instant counter target non-creature spell. Its controller creates two treasure tokens. This is super cool. I really like the the idea of even if we're seeing a lot of treasure this set, I really like how we haven't played enough with giving your opponents treasures for a discounted effect. Uh, so I'm thinking since Oakhound Zinder Split has my best blue cards, I could put an offer you can't refuse in there. And then the second card I would want to put in there, I think, and it, it's worth trying out, is Slip Out the Back, a another uncommon blue instant. Uh, put a 1-1 counter on target creature, it phases out. So as a way to protect Oakhound, buff it a little bit so the next time I have to roll dice, I need to, um, or flip coins, I only need to do one less because I believe the math works out that way that if he gets any bigger, uh, the number of flips I need gets less. <laughs> I do want to throw out there, an offer you can't refuse is a crazy good card. I just didn't have a place to talk about it on the pod, mm -hmm. but I honestly should have said I'm, I might put it in the Tiamat powerful dragons deck because there was some scuttlebutt on the cdh form or subreddit of is the cdh playable it's a one man mana counter spell that hits anything non-creature people are running other versions of that swan song yeah all right lads shall we uh enter the wormhole for only patrons real quick uh only patrons not to be confused with only fans which we do not have but if you want us to like you could hit us up on twitter or like send us an email and like we'd consider it anyway into the wormhole <laughs> I think the Discord noise filter actually takes that out of the audio we hear. Yeah, because it does. There, it's like <laughs> that noise. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, good thing it's being recorded for posterity, and eh, maybe I'll replace it with a sound effect or something when we actually do the uh, the editing. Anyway, new Capenna, new set. These are the objective takes. Uh, all of our takes are right, and all of your takes are wrong. Uh, but still, feel free to argue with us on Twitter if you want. If you like what we're doing. Uh, support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a cast. You'll even get access to the wormhole where you can hear us talk about uh, other topics that are patrons only, of course. And um, no matter what you're doing, we would really appreciate it if you go to our TCG Player affiliate link, which is in the description of this. We know you're going to buy Magic cards, probably some of these new cards that we've talked about. Maybe you even want to pre-order some sealed product because you like doing draft or whatever. Um, if you use our code, uh, we get a little bit of a kickback on that. It just help support us while you're doing something that you're already going to do, which is buy magic cards. Yeah. Nice. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. This is the Hex Drinker signing out.